A lot of people want to go to that event, John, at the G Hotel, so they do on the uh, first. See that? I had a good gut instinct about that, all right. Go on, keep going with your gut instinct. Um, thank you, John, for that. And again, for the details from goldwaybfm.ie, our um, financial expert sits opposite us uh, today. And uh, we're looking at a number of issues. That, uh, Dave McCarthy, good morning. How are you today? Very well, Keith. Thanks for joining Very well. us. Now, uh, it was announced over the weekend that the government is going to legislate for the use of cash in certain shops and the availability of ATMs. Can they really carry this off? They can, and I th- and they're very intent on it. Um, I think the background to this is, first of all, the EU last year declared that cash was here to stay, and that was, was going to be mandatory. And rightly so. Hmm? And rightly so. And rightly so. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll come on to that in a minute. So cash was here to stay. This is quite sudden, really, and I have no information to verify what I'm about to say. But I would wonder if they, if the government got wind that some major operator was going to ban cash, for example, a big supermarket, or maybe there was going to be issues with uh, some of the ATM providers that was going to cause a real problem with the cash system that has brought this forward so quickly. Because mm-hmm. normally we hear conversation about these type of things, you know, and they consult with maybe the business sector and that. But no, their intent in this and whatever is behind it, if there is anything, and I'm no nothing to say that there is, but they may have been worried that there was going to be a big operator was going to change the way they, 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 they do business. So what does it mean? It means in essence that supermarkets, and again, that description has to be, confirmed as what do they mean by it. I think they could probably include uh, small local corner stores that are kind of inverted commas supermarkets and um, pharmacies. Now, whether they broaden it out beyond that, I d- we don't know. And then they're also legislating for the availability of ATMs, which, you know, you can't have a cash system if you don't have access to cash. So what they're saying is, is that they will put in um, regulations that the central bank will, will, will oversee where there is so many ATMs per 100,000 population in a particular area, and there has to be an ATM within a minimum okay, of 10 kilometres of anybody but, to but access. Are they, are they going to, are the government or whoever, uh, central bank, or other, are they going to incentivize them financially or otherwise to put these ATMs in? Because the ATMs then have to be serviced on a... On a that's look, that, that, that system is already there. What they're worried about, I think, is a, a reduction in the number of ATMs. But what they're also concerned about, there has been a reduction in ATMs because KBC and Ulster Bank left the market and they, that caused a problem in terms of availability of ATMs. Now what they want is to bring the number of ATMs back to the 2022 levels. So what does all that mean for the individual out there listening this morning? It means that you can continue to use cash in these uh, type of retail outlets. It's up to the retail outlet otherwise whether or not they want to use cash. And I would just say, I know um, in business it's very expensive to deal with cash. It's a very expensive commodity and there are a lot of overheads. But you know, you have to provide your customers with choice. Mm-hmm. And people need to have the choice. And if somebody walks into your premises, whether you're in, under this legislation or not, would mean that most businesses who are practical about it, I think, would say, I'm going to continue to accept cash because that's what my customers want. Yeah. You know, and if you're it, in the sector, it, people walk out the door and they go somewhere else. Is it down to money laundering that they're bothered about? You know, but with people having vast amounts of money and... No, no. Is that why they were trying to reduce it? Because definitely during COVID... I mean, and there, I was in one supermarket and I don't go to supermarkets very often um, and there was three or four of those checkouts but you had only card only and then there was one that would take cash in a, in a, yeah. major, in a major outlet now, I'm not talking about a small outlet. Well, they continue to take cash whether they use it in, in a different outlet on, in, in store is, 
doesn't really matter. At least they were continuing to take it. It's got to do with the cost of cash for businesses. And that's why every business in the retail sector would love to have a situation where they don't take cash at all and just use card and they would reduce their costs. That's not going to do anything for the consumer. The consumer needs to have choice. People want to use cash yeah. for whatever reason themselves. But, but yet some sporting fixtures, GA fixtures, um, they won't take cash at the gate. But you have to have everything bought online and that's right. tickets bought. So, I mean... And and I think COVID put the, the, you know, really put the skids under this to get it to where we are today. Well, I'll give you an interesting analogy. I was in one of my major supermarkets there the other day, and this had nothing to do with this announcement because it hadn't come out at this stage. And I was paying for my produce with cash myself because I, I like to have both. And um, <clears throat> the lady at the till said to me, she says, oh, she says, we've seen a big increase in the last couple of months in the number of people using cash. And I said, why do you think that is? And she says, I don't know. Maybe people are fed up with the charges they have to pay yeah. with using automated um, transactions or maybe it's the fact that they find it more convenient. And I think there could be another aspect to this. Even though using your cards in store really is a very safe way of transacting business as a consumer. But I think sometimes they're thinking, oh, with all of the spam stuff and all of the worries that seem to be coming my way in terms of security of my money, maybe sometimes there's an element of a little bit of fear about using a card, which there shouldn't be. But cards will continue to be the max, by, by, by and large, will always be the primary way the people will transact. Okay. Um, now, I see the US stock market um, has approved the listing, indeed, of Bitcoin ETF uh, but you still must be aware. Why Why do you have to be aware if it's been... Well, basically, what is an ETF? An ETF stands for Electronically Traded Fund, okay? Yeah. So if you want to invest in um, a particular sector of the stock market, ETFs are available in every stock market. So for, for argument's sake, you want an exposure to Asian shares, you can buy an, an Asian ETF. If you want exposure to some sort of commodity, you can buy any ETFs are a way of investors being able to access a certain sector on the stock market. So there's thousands of them available across the world. But now what the SEC in the States, which the regulator have come along and said, they are allowing a Bitcoin ETF to be put up on the exchanges in the US. Now, that is not legitimizing cryptocurrencies. That is not legitimizing Bitcoin. They are not sanctioning it. All they're doing is giving people access and yeah. faci correct facilitating it. Yeah. And this is actually not coming about willingly. This is coming about as a result of a, uh, a legal case that was in the US, which has forced them to do this. That doesn't change anything to do okay. with the risks associated with cryptocurrencies. So if you think as somebody who maybe was monitoring um, cryptos and Bitcoin and think, oh, this is great, an ETF is, has been approved by the SEC, that it's, I can go ahead and everything is hunky-dory. It's not. It's as risky as it ever was. Now, it's the new mortgage lender, MoCo, um, have launched in Ireland. Who are MoCo? MoCo are um, actually a company that are a subsidiary of um, an Austrian bank. And they now are, are, are launching uh, mortgage products through intermediaries only in Ireland. Look, it's like everything else we need in the financial sector of this country. We need competition. When you say intermediaries, is it the likes of yourself? Mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers. No, yeah, well, I don't get involved in that mass aspect of the business, or my own business. Mortgage brokers only. They're not going to be, at the moment, advertising in, out there for people to go directly to them. Moco actually was a company that was set up a number of years ago by some private individuals to offer 
this type of uh, a service. For some reasons, it didn't seem to work out for them. But now this Austrian bank has taken it over and this is what's happening. Why is it he- helpful and important for anybody listening this morning? It's more choice. The last thing we need is less choice in the financial sector in this country. We've mm-hmm. lost two banks, I mentioned it earlier, and whether it's in the mortgage sector or something else, more choice is welcome. Um, is it a good idea, this is for you, by the way, they're asking me to ask you, is it a good idea to move some savings and take a lump sum off our mortgage? It would be if you have a reasonable amount of savings for your other day-to-day needs in case the rainy day happens. Everybody's experiencing a dramatic increase in mortgage rates. Um, so therefore, it is a very good way of utilising money that's sitting in deposit doing nothing for you and you're going to get little or nothing for it. Um, but so long as you kind of create, keep a balance, keep a certain amount available for the rainy day, and then yes, it would help to, I suppose, obviously reduce the balance in your mortgage and that will, in time, help to reduce the okay. interest costs. Um, finally, uh, maybe this is more legal than financial, but I have to throw it at you. I'm very concerned that there may be some dispute in my family over inheriting the family home after I die. Uh, would it be a good idea to put a clause in uh, that the house must be sold and the proceeds divided between them equally? Obviously, you just mentioned it is a legal question, and I'm going to predicate my answer by, by saying that, and obviously you need to go to a solicitor. But on a practical level, if you leave a house between a number of your offspring, it needs agreement as to what happens to that house subsequently, is it sold or whatever. But if you do put a clause into your will to stop that being an issue, maybe they might agree, and that's... Will, wills, as you know, Keith, can be fractious in families and sometimes involve third parties and partners and that get involved. You, you cut all that out by taking the choice away from the inheritors, in other words, your children. Put a clause into the will that says the house must be sold and the proceeds divided. And if one of your children wants to buy the house from the others, that's a decision that they can make. But it stops, I suppose, any potential conflict from happening. But you, you, in your opinion, considered opinion, you can put it in the wheel. Oh, you can, of course. There's no issue in doing it. And I do think it's, again, you need to go to talk to a solicitor, listener. Um, but I do think it's a very good idea. And it does cut out any potential conflict. And I wouldn't say there's a person listening this morning, Keith. I don't know if it's an Irish singer or whatever, but hasn't come across a herd of rows over wills. So, you know, I, again, I always think when you're making a will, you could do whatever you want, but I do think you have a responsibility to the people you leave behind to make sure you don't leave a row. All right, listen, thanks for joining us uh, today. McCarthy McCarthy and Associates based in Wood Key on 0915660022. For further details there, Dave, have a good week. Ask the Dentist brought to you by Gate Dental Clinic. Let's keep Galway smiling. Don't wait. Call the gate on 547592. Yeah, Dr. Brian Delgado, and I love having him in here, joins me. And uh, Brian, good morning to you. Thank you indeed for joining good morning, us. Good we're lo- we were talking about teeth. I'm fascinated by teeth. So, but we were talking about teeth, and we we're looking at um, tooth wear. What exactly is tooth wear? I know we spoke about it before, but what is it? Um, we have spoken about it before, and the reason that I want to uh, do it again is basically because we had a few queries come through on on tooth wear, and especially on grinding. But I just wanted to recap on on what tooth wear is. Simply, it's the wearing down of teeth, and uh, how does it happen? There's three main ways where it can happen mm. it's abrasion erosion and attrition which take, sounds take me through abrasion what do, so um, it sounds very high end but it's off the chair but anyway so abrasion is basically um, where two things abrade or the one abrades the other mm. or not it's simple like a sandpaper so what do we do in our, ourselves to, to, to help that abrasion so what we do is we get a toothbrush which in a lot of cases it's, it's hard 
and, and, and you know, the bristles are very hard on it. Um, and all of a sudden we scrub that against the shiny enamel surface, which is strong, but it's shiny and it doesn't need that power behind the brush that a lot of us tend to put in because it just makes us feel like we've had a good clean mm. if we get a lot of power behind the brush. And power behind the brush, all it does is it just wears down the enamel of your teeth. Wow. Yeah, doesn't happen overnight, but... Because I would be vigorous morning and evening, I'd be... Yeah. I really would. So my best advice for that, simple advice, is get an electric toothbrush. Okay. The electric toothbrush does it for you. Um, do you know what I mean? It rotates or it could be sonic. There's different types around. But it stops you from helping that toothbrush along. So if you have an electric toothbrush, then you let it do its job. Exactly. Rather than you going... Exactly. So do let it double do, do it. Yeah. Let it do its job and don't try and help it, help it along. Oh. Leave it. It knows what to do. Just leave it alone. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's the first one. Yeah. Second one then. So the second one, um, erosion. So... Erosion is basically mainly uh, caused by anything that's acidic. Um, our saliva, it tends to be around the neutral, about 6.7 to 7.3. Neutral is 7. Anything that's acidic. And then we get your fizzy drinks, mm -hmm. your juices, which can be healthy at times, but most juices have got some kind of acid in them, whether it's orange juice, apple juice, um, yeah. So that's mainly, so drinks is mainly where that erosion comes from. You get a small minority of patients which have other problems like gastric reflux where acid from your stomach is coming up and that's causing wear on its own. Um, oh, would that come in contact with your um, teeth? Yeah. yeah. Patients with bad gas gastric reflux, can you, you can actually see the wear patterns. Wow. It's, yeah. And then we get a small minority of, of bulimic patients which um, obviously from... from becoming sick, you know, that, that, mm. that acid as well erodes teeth away. So that's erosion. Because I thought the teeth, uh, Dr. Brian Delgado, were just, they were like rocks, except when they need to be treated or need to get a filling or root canal. But I thought they were, they were and, robust. And you know, to, to an extent, you're, you're right. I mean, enamel is, is very hard uh, a substance and that's why our teeth last so long. But if you think about it like, I mean, you think about a shoe and it's leather or the sole is mm -hmm. rubber and it's a hard material, but if you start scrubbing it day in, day out... It wears. It wears. Everything wears, you know. But how do you prevent it then? So, so the erosion is, is when I said main, the majority of cases, is drinks. Um, so just really, that's diet advice there. Mm. Um, you know, controlling those kind of um, uh, drinks, keeping them for special occasions. If you're going to have an either, I saw, I've said that before, if you're going to have a juice, make sure that you don't brush your teeth straight after because all you're doing is rubbing that acid into the enamel and causing further erosion. So just rinse it's, your mouth. It's fascinating. Yeah, rinse your mouth out with a glass of water, leave it for 20, 30 minutes, and then you can go and brush your teeth. Tw 20 or 30 minutes? Yeah. Well, just get, we say, wash the acid off of it. Exactly. Yeah. And can I ask you, um, as a dentist then, if somebody has this problem, what can you do? Can you re-enamel the teeth? You can't re-enamel it. it. It depends on, on what the problems are. Sometimes the problem could be aesthetic, where they've, they've worn part of the tooth and it doesn't now look good against the gum. Um, sometimes it could, they could be getting a little bit of sensitivity because the next layer is exposed now and dentine is a live tissue, so they could be getting sensitivity from there. If they're getting sensitivity, there's things that we can do. We can put a little bit of filling material around it. We can put a desensitizing agent. If it's aesthetic, 
also you, you, you can deal with it as well, yeah. But the main thing is, is, is that prevention. You have to correct that mistake. So can I be bold then and just ask you then about, you know, parents would be giving juices to children and that. I mean, yeah. if you give juices to children at an early age and could, could we be doing them a disservice? Early age is when really you get a, a taste of things or for things. Um, so if you start introducing things early on, like anything that's nice, say for example, a juice, we're going to compare it, an apple juice that has sugar in it, it has its, its acid in it. If you get that to a child and then like for five days in a row and then try and give him water on the sixth day, mm. it's going to be a bit difficult. Yeah. So rather than the other way around, you know, keeping that yeah, water, yeah, yeah. that milk, and then use it doing the other drinks, which are going to happen, but keeping them for special occasions. Yeah, but but it, it would say they've got their second set of teeth. Yeah, you, you, you I suppose maybe they do it in schools. Now, I don't know, but to, to teach them about teeth health. Yeah, most most schools do tackle do teeth health. Yeah, to some or, or lesser extent. Yeah. Yeah, God be with the days. I'm yeah. old enough to remember. Uh, when the dentist would come around to the school, primary school, and check your teeth. Yeah. They don't they do that to, anymore, no. do they? But they used to do that, yeah. They used to do it, yeah. yeah. I'm bringing back memories now. Well, and, and it's it, normally it's done at an age as well. So it's done at an age of about six or seven. There's a pattern to this, how how you do those things, because um, at six or seven, they're already getting their adult teeth coming through. Mm. So it's a good time to keep yeah. an eye on things. So, again, just going back then to uh, the subject we were talking about, which is uh, toothwear. Uh, it's just important to keep an eye on it and yeah. get help if you're concerned. And the final one that I'm going to just go on briefly is attrition. And attrition is basically grinding of the teeth. A lot of people clench, either when they're concentrating or at night. A lot of people grind the teeth at night. And that in itself, two strong enamel surfaces rubbing against each other is going to be wear. And is there a way of stopping that? There is a way of stopping that as well, yeah. Um, first of all, I tend to take it lightly. Um, and maybe it could be something that's stressing yourself from doing that. You might be in a stressful situation um, at the time, going through a divorce, selling a house, you know, things Whatever, like that, yeah. which is stressful. All the big things, yeah. All the big things, yeah. Um, so sometimes when that kind of stress is, is over, then the patient comes back to normality and stops the grinding or the clenching. There's things like night guards that you can wear, um, which help a lot. I mean, it, it doesn't help you, it doesn't stop the grinding fully, but it eases the the pain or discomfort from, yeah. from, from grinding, yeah. And the impact and of the it noise, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is it very noisy, is it? It can be very noisy. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Brian Delgado. And again, if you want to get further details, you can You're get welcome. them. Thanks so uh, much. You can get them indeed from uh, the team. And thank you for joining us. Ask the Dentist, brought to you by Gate Dental Clinic. Let's keep Galway smiling. Don't wait. Call the gate on 547-592. Now, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's uh, programme with you right through until 12 midday. Well, it's that time of year again when the Teddy Bear Hospital visits University of Galway and the University of Galway Slaunches Society. And uh, we're joined by uh, co-auditors, indeed, Nisha and uh, Jess, who join us uh, today. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. Teddy Bear Hospital, have you all the um, solutions for the sick teddy bears to you, Nisha? We do, we're hoping to. Don't be looking at her for help here. <laughs> help, you know. So yeah. we'll be inviting about 900 kids from primary schools all over Galway. We've asked the children to come in and ha think about what kind of illnesses or diseases their teddy bears might have. And we'll have our teddy bear doctors 
help out and bring them to vital stations, x-ray stations, surgery stations, and pharmacy stations. We're expecting to see lots of broken arms and sick tummies and sore This isn't ears. rag week we're talking about now. We're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about um, teddy bears so we are. Do you yes, think, yes. Were, were there broken arms and all that in teddy bears? That seems to be a common injury that we get, yeah. But we'll see what this year holds. We have lots of students coming, so we'll see what ailments their teddies have tomorrow. What about hangovers? I would not promote that in our four to six year olds. <laughs> I hope I'm not. I'm talking about the students, I am. Not, not <laughs> the teddy bears. Um, it's, it's been going for a long number of years now. It's going to be running, so it is, on Thursday and Friday. And it's going to run from 10 until 2. But it really is all about education, isn't it? And putting the children at ease when it comes to medicine. Yes, that's exactly it. We like to try and create that environment of trust with the kids so that if there are ever patients one day in the hospital, then they won't have those fears and anxieties surrounding healthcare. Just trying to create those positive, fun experiences with them now over in our Bailey Allen Hall, which will be our our makeshift hospital for a few days. Makeshift, so it'll be a field hospital effectively. Yes, that's a good way to look yeah, at it. Yeah. I, have all the, I have all the answers over here, so I have all together. And uh, is it going to be a structured way, Nisha? Have they... Have they been given times for their appointment or did they just rock in? Yes, exactly. So our plan is to have the children rotate between three rooms. They'll spend 20 minutes in each room. We're going to have the main teddy bear hospital where they'll run through the vitals, x-ray, surgery, pharmacy station. And then they're going to have a room with games. So they're going to have a healthcare twist on them. So Simon says... Can you hug your hair? Can you hug your bear in a healthy way? Can you show us how you would stretch with your teddy bear? And then we're going to have another room with dancing, so the kids can have have some fun with their friends. And do they get a prescription going home then, or, is it, or do they get a clean bill of health? Maybe because there might be nothing wrong with their bear. Mm. And if That's not, the would goal. They get, would they get the prescription to come back or to, to fix them, or would they get a second appointment? They'll get a prescription to go home, and hopefully, we'll invite them back again next year for some fun. Yeah. yeah. And what about then if there's any illnesses during the year then? Can they just find you on the wards in University Hospital Galway? Oh, for sure. I'll yeah. be there this year, yeah. <laughs> well, she said to come back to me if I had something <laughs> wrong, yeah. But it is, I mean, it has, it, it does um, really interest. And I suppose for God, I, I remember, I can remember going back 20, 25 years, it does bring the medical faculty and students and uh, young people together and, and lets them know that it's okay not to be okay and that's what this is all about really yeah i think that's our favorite part nisha and i love to see our school community come together we have over 200 student volunteers from different programs including the medicine school of medicine and we have some amazing sponsors community sponsors pharmacies um duns and different stores helping us provide healthy Mm -hmm. snacks so we're not really just talking about medicine, we're talking about kind of all the aspects of mm-hmm. health, healthy eating and exercise and all of that plays into it. Everybody rallies. Yeah. But I mean, as just before you left there, there was Dr. Brian Delgado, he's a dentist mm-hmm. and he's in Gate Dental, he's on um, the docks there. And uh, he always um, promotes the fact that if a mom or a dad are going to the dentist, they bring the children with them and bring them into the room with them so mm-hmm. that when, it, when their time comes, they won't be frightened. And th- this is very similar to it though, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Just, yes, yeah, very really similar. Yeah. Those early exposures are so important. Are, are they all registered at this stage now or can they still register or can they just turn up? We actually start registering in the beginning of January. So registering is all finished up for now. The applications did close about a week ago. So 
But hopefully if anyone hears about Teddy Bear Hospital now and they're interested for next year, absolutely reach out right away. We'd be more than happy to have them. And is it only children it is? It is. We invite four to six-year-olds. I think mm-hmm. is our, our target, yeah, our target classes from school. She's going to say schools. yes because you're nodding your head so much. I'm saying <laughs> yeah, from all over Galway. Yeah. We're very, very lucky. We have some classes that travel quite far to get to us on yeah. the day of. I'm just saying some adults out there that still have teddy bears, not me. <laughs> um, but um, so they can't bring the adults can't. This is purely for four to six year olds. It is. The, the students come with their teachers from school. Yeah, it's a lovely idea. It really is a lovely idea. Uh, from there so well done to you congratulations uh, on it but again for next year where should they go uh, or keep an eye on so that they can uh, register for next year we are usually advertising over our social media so Slancha Sock on Instagram and we definitely send out emails to all of our local schools so we'll be sure to make everyone known well in advance Mm -hmm. for next year's event uh, somebody said, are you going to have an ambulance there? Why would they want to know if she is going to have an you're, you're not going to have an ambulance there. We will actually have an ambulance bouncy castle. <laughs> so that'll be exciting for the kids. An ambulance bouncy castle? Yes. Yeah. So we'll have about groups of 10 kids going on at a time and then they'll head to the healthcare <laughs> games. So it'll if be the, fun. If they fall out of the bouncy castle in an ambulance shape and have to go to USG... We'll but test the, out the bouncy castle first for them. We'll I'm make black. sure it's okay. <laughs> That's called research, uh, yeah. so it is. Are you in the hospital currently, Nisha? I did just start in the hospital this year. I'm in my third year of medical school, so just started on the wards. In UHG? In UHG, yeah. Good on you. And are you yet in the... I will be starting next year. Next still year? Still over at the college in, in lectures. Okay, so then where would you like to where would you like to end up when you finish? Are you going to try and stay around Ireland or are you going to... I will say the the saying. What? How does it go? Galway is where ambition goes to die. Is that the the saying? Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I I am falling victim to that. I would love to stay in where, Ireland. Where we'll are see you what from? happens. We're both from Canada, actually. Canada. And what made you pick Galway? Can I ask you? Yeah, there's a lovely bridge program connecting Irish medical schools and Canadians. Um, so we applied through that program, and once we saw what Galway was like. We just fell in love with the West Coast. And wow. Uh, and did you know each other before you came here? We didn't. We were so lucky to meet each other. And Jess was pretty close to me, actually. So I met her in the summer in Vancouver. So that was lovely. So Vancouver is where you're from? Vancouver is where I'm from. I'm from Ontario, just outside of Toronto. Wow. Mm-hmm. Vancouver is lovely. Toronto is lovely. Yeah. And you're very lucky because of uh, a Galway man, well, we've adopted him has become the, um, John Concan has become the ambassador. He worked in the college for years as well. Has become the Irish ambassador to Canada. Oh, wow. So there you go. There you go. Guys, thank you indeed for joining us uh, today on the programme and uh, keep up the good work and mind yourselves. Uh, but if you want to get further details, just go to Slauncha, S-L-A-I-N-T-E, S-O-C and uh, on any of the social medias and get further details from there. Thanks guys for joining us uh, today. Keep Thanks up the good so work. Much. Thank and you enjoy. So, much. so again, that's taking place tomorrow. It's already booked out and Saturday. Tomorrow and, sorry, Thursday and Friday Friday, I knew that I thought today was Thursday so it is taking place tomorrow Thursday and Friday uh, 10 to 2 you have to have been booked you have to have your appointment Uh, you have to bring your PPS number with you you have to be between 4 and 6 and uh, you have to be invited to be there as well guys thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme now though let me just uh, go to John Morley who's speaking with Dr Tony Claffey this is fascinating stay tuned for that and more to come
Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the Cathedral of the Assumption in Tume by local historian Tony Claffey. Tony, just tell me about a bit about the origin of this cathedral. This cathedral was built during the episcopacy of Archbishop Kelly. Uh, he became Archbishop uh, around um, in the early 1800s, about... 1801 or two and or a little later than that and at that time there was no cathedral in the the town the town was owned by the Protestant church the Protestant archbishop was here and he was he didn't like the idea of Catholics having a cathedral here so he told his tenants that there should be no Popish church in the town. So he was up against that problem. Uh, but it so happened that uh, quite close to the town, as a matter of fact, on the other side of Bishop Street here in Chew, uh there was a land owned by a landlord and he was willing to give a site for it. So the, the cathedral was built on that site. And uh, it was the second Catholic cathedral, post-Reformation Catholic cathedral, built in Ireland. Uh, so it was very early on in the building of Catholic cathedrals. And, uh, of course, it was a very big challenge. Connacht was the poorest of the provinces of Ireland at that time. So he had a major problem in collecting money for the building of the cathedral. But um, he relied mostly on the landlords and he said that he never met a landlord who refused to help him with the building of churches or a cathedral. And it was on the landlords he depended. Now this was before Daniel O'Connell's time because when Daniel O'Connell came along he had a different policy relying on the people to get things done not the landlords however he got with the help mostly with the help of landlords he succeeded in building the cathedral over a period of seven years and it's a very big cathedral. I know back in those days it was very common practice to build the Catholic cathedral bigger than the the Protestant counterparts. Well, I don't think that was in his mind at the time, but um, yeah, it's a rather big cathedral, but it could have been bigger. He didn't have the money to build it to the specifications at first drawn up. And uh, that caused a problem. They admitted that the architect was very displeased and he left the site as a result of that. So the cathedral is truncated. Uh, it, it, could, it should have been a bigger cathedral than it is. And I know that the windows, and there's a lot of great architecture and cultural depictions all over the place, it's a very beautiful cathedral as well. Yes, well, the most beautiful of the windows is the east window. Um, it has, it's uh, very well executed. The stonework is marvellous in it and um, it has um, stained glass windows that 
date from 18, I think the date is on them, uh, 1832. So, um, and he, the, in the stained glass, you have the coat of arms of the various uh, important people who contributed to the cathedral. It was amazing that it was built before the famine and all the, I suppose, money that was needed to finance it. And you mentioned that landlords largely did finance it. Was it in stark contrast to the devastation in the local area during the famine? Oh, it was. And um, in in a way, I think what the Archbishop had in mind was to have a, 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 a scheme that would help the people financially. So those people who worked on it were, they had to be parishioners and um, they were very poor because Connors went through a very rough period in the first half of the 19th century with famines and more than one famine with uh, famines and uh, failure of crops and that kind of thing. What sort of uh, impact did it have in the later parts of the 19th century here in Shum? What, what, what was the influence of it? Well, first of all, it was um, a spectacular building at that time. Uh, quite the biggest building, of course the biggest building in the town. But as well as that, it was there was no other cathedral built. The next cathedral to be built was in Carlow, I think. Uh, actually, this was built started before Carlow, but Carlow, uh, because of the lack of funds, uh, the building of this was drawn out for over six years. So Carlow became the second cathedral instead of this, but this was the second to be started. And the influence... You were asking me about what influence it had. Well, I think the people were very proud of it and it was uh, probably the most remarkable building in the town. Tony Claffey, thank you for joining us on History Talks and Galway Talks. Thank you. Fascinating stuff and lovely to hear Tony again. But um, the winners, by the way, of um, the wonderful tickets to go along to the G-Hotel... Um, on the 1st of February to that wonderful event and you can meet with all the people involved including uh, Tom Coleman who's a sleep expert in Eunice Power and others on the 1st. Um, the winners of um, tickets to go along are Rosaline Keneally, Clybourne Road, uh, Joan O'Loughlin, Murphy, Ronan Healy, Crockwell, Claire Maguire, Toome and Eamon O'Connor, Bohermore. And um, now to, on Friday we're going to be in Kinvarna. John has been, you finalised it? Finalised. Fine line, line drawn in the sand line and seaweed. The sand, yeah, so we're starting off with Jack Donoghue, Hilary Murray and Michael Brogan. I talked a bit about them yesterday. They'll yeah. be good fun to begin with. Then some of the issues in the area. Eamon Coy, Margot Vicdonald and Fiona Rogers will be talking about lack of parking, need for a sports hall in Seamount School and also uh, the need for hockey facilities locally. After that, then we're looking at history with Zachary Silk. You met the infamous Matty Whelan, so... They can look what forward a, to hearing for him. What a man, what a man, yeah. The king of Kinvara, I believe he's referred to locally. Uh, after that, we have some community organisations. Uh, Maeve Kelly joins us from Falch Kinvara. And we also hear from Gerhard Turpel, who is involved in Kinvara Alive. After that, then we look at uh, John Prine and his connection to the area. We speak with Paul Mulligan, who is a sound engineer, and also Mary Green of Green's Bar, because John was a, a 
frequent visitor to there and he played a lot of gigs there as well. After that, we go to sport. We have Karen Weeks. Uh, she has sailed and, and rode across mm. the Atlantic and she's very involved in a lot of different uh, sports teams as well. Connor Whelan, of course, Galway hurler and uh, he's very decorated as well. Lots of awards and all-star Young Hurler of the Year in 2017 and lots of other GPA All-Stars in 17 and in 23 as well. And he's met the Sunday Game of the Year a lot of times as well. So we'll be hearing from him. He's a hurler locally. And we also have uh, Keen McCormack, who is a very renowned and very well-established kickboxing champion. He's won All-Irelands and European titles and world titles as well. And even won a semi-pro world back in November of 22. So all that plus lots, lots more. We'll be finishing up with uh, speaking, get some music from Frank Hall and speaking with Aideen Ferguson and Rose O'Connor as well. So that's how it's looking for Friday in Kinvar and the Pierhead. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, John, for that. We look forward. We'll be there in the Pierhead from early on Friday morning and we look forward to uh, talking to all those people. And tomorrow morning's morning, the teacher gets to visit Galway again uh, this coming Friday and he joins us tomorrow morning in the programme. The Bia Innovator Campus will be officially open by him on Friday. We take a, an inside look at that. And uh, the issues with special needs transport uh, servicing Skullney of Joseph, highlighted by concerned mother. The persecution indeed of some Muslims must stop. The Galway Astronomy Club, by the way, they're having a festival on the 27th in the Menlo Park Hotel. Culture Corner, we're looking at moth butterflies, excuse me. Moth butterflies. <laughs> And we also have uh, an international storytelling festival and ours to protect as well. And we also have music mornings, by the way. Uh, we have some wonderful people coming in from that. That is it for today. John Morley produced. And Fiona took your comments, but from you, really Keith Finnegan and John and all the crew indeed that made it possible today. Thanks to your listeners for being there each and every day this week. And do join us for Thursday's programme tomorrow. Standby Ronan is next. And we'll talk to you tomorrow live from Studio One just after the nine o'clock news. Have a good and a safe Wednesday. And mind yourselves and enjoy having no wind. Talk to you soon.